Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world around us, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We have a great chat room, so Rav, why don't you tell us all about it? The chat room is a great crowd of people. They, you know, they're just a fabulous group, and they contribute to the conversation so much. I learn bunches just being in the chat room, but I would really like it if you would come join me as well. That is just at provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Come in, say hello, you know, provide your input into whatever is being discussed on the air is all great conversation so that's provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat good in today's spotlight we turn our attention to moral stories and the media a recent study carried out by researchers victoria talwar and mcgill at excuse me of mcgill university and kang lee at the university of toronto demonstrated the value of praising a character's honesty as more effective tool to get young people to tell the truth than a story that emphasizes the punishment or repercussions to lying. Quoting the University Herald, As parents of young children, we wanted to know how effective the stories actually are in promoting honesty. Is it in one ear, out the other, or do children listen and take the message to heart? For the study, researchers conducted an experiment with more than 250 children ages 3 to 7. Each child played a game that required guessing the identity of a toy based on the sound it made. In the middle of the game, the experimenter left the room for a minute and grabbed a book, instructing the child not to peek at the toy that was left on the table. Now, for most children, this temptation was just too hard to resist. When the coordinator of the study returned, she read the child a story, either the tortoise or the hare, the boy who cried wolf, Pinocchio, or George Washington in the cherry tree. Afterward, the experimenter asked the child to tell the truth about whether he or she peeked at the toy. Based on their findings, Pinocchio and the boy who cried wolf, which associate lying with negative consequences such as public humiliation, perhaps even death, were no more effective at promoting honest behavior than the tortoise and the hare, a fable unrelated to honesty. They found that the apocryphal tale about a young George Washington seemed to inspire the kids to admit to peaking. Researchers said children who heard the tale, in which Washington is praised for confessing his transgression, were three times more likely to tell the truth than their peers who heard other stories. Talwar said the story about George Washington may be effective because it demonstrates, quote, the positive consequences of being honest by giving the message of what the desired behavior is, as well as demonstrating the behavior itself. Now, there was a time that we read to our children. However, more and more children today have had this reading time substituted with media, the television or a video game, or even their first computer, the small ones, 
those made especially for children and sold as teaching aids. And what are the message units they offer? The George Washington story illustrates the power of positive reinforcement. Indeed, when the researchers changed the ending of the Washington story so that it presented a negative repercussion, children who heard the story were no longer more likely to admit to peaking. Our society is full of negative cell messages, basically all of those that insist you're inadequate and therefore need what they have to offer. And then there is all the fear-mongering rhetoric that goes along with not just the cell info, but accompanies everyone's agendas today. If you vote for so-and-so, why, the world will end. If you don't get this or that, well, you'll suffer. Seldom do young people encounter an offer where their honesty is rewarded. Think about that. How many times as parents do we threaten our children about lying instead of praise their honest behavior? Like it or not, we live in a mediocracy today that on a 24-7 basis delivers content designed to manipulate us in some way. Period. Full stop. The agenda behind this content could care less about anything short of selling its message. And this is what our children are all too often subjected to as their primary learning environment. And it isn't just our children. Adults are as immersed in this as are the kids. The end result may well be extrapolated from some of the research we know about where values are involved in entertainment. Take, for example, the game Grand Theft Auto. When adult males play this game, their values are altered. They become more accepting of drugs and violence after only one week of playing, based on pre- and post-testing. Our media is well known for what's known as the moral panic concept. This concept may be defined as an episode often triggered by alarming media stories and perhaps reinforced by reactive laws and or public policy of exaggerated or misdirected public concern, anxiety, fear, or anger over a perceived threat to social order. What comes to my mind at the moment is the outrage over the Washington Redskins football team's name. Now, my point isn't whether this name is a slur or not to Native Americans. It's rather how the media suddenly finds it reprehensible, as though they have been railing against it in every sports broadcast for many years. So not to lose our point, the media brings to our attention not just the issues of the moment, but in so doing they deliver a large portion of our morality. What's soon to be acceptable will always appear in our entertainment and or other media first. Obviously, the need for role models and stories portraying the rewarding side of honesty, as well as the other, as well as the other virtues that we hold special, should be what we seek when we choose what we fill our minds and the minds of our children with. Now, we're limited by time. But one more point is necessary to flesh out the full impact of the picture here. New research shows that fear can travel quickly through generations of mice DNA. In the newest of studies, researchers taught male mice to fear the smell of cherry blossoms. Two weeks later, they bred the males and the resulting pups 
having no prior exposure to cherry blossoms, nevertheless suddenly became anxious and fearful when they experienced their first whiff of a cherry blossom. Take it a step further. Neuroscientists at Emory University found that genetic markers thought to be wiped clean before birth were used to transmit a single traumatic experience across generations, leaving behind traces in the behavior and anatomy of future pups. So, selling fear has many ramifications. When next you think about building character, remember that character, honesty, integrity, knows its own rewards. And those rewards are not found in fear. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? Oh, I think this is just fascinating. It's just a different way in which, you know, we are enculturated. You know, I mean, we're aware of things like product placement and um, the violence and stuff in the media. But, you know, the actual storyline and how that affects the moral character of the individual, which affects the moral character of the nation, you know, well, that isn't, you know, generally discussed and it has, it has a great impact. I think it, you know, it should be, you know, we should all pay a whole lot more attention to it. I agree. Vote with your dollars. All right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week, our show auditioned something we referred to as open lines. We discussed a variety of subjects, including free will. Mark wrote, on this week's show, Eldon discussed the notion of whether we have free will. According to Eldon, neuroscience studies have revealed that we make decisions at the subconscious level, a matter of seconds before our conscious mind makes the same decision. These studies are just one example, among many others, of how neuroscience and behavioral biology in general have purportedly ruled out the notion of free will, relegating it to a mere epiphenomenon or illusion. Instead, according to neuroscience, our behavior is largely determined by biological and environmental factors already predetermined and outside much of our control. Eldon then brought up the idea that much of the choices we make in life are based on subconscious beliefs previously programmed from past events. Through becoming mindful of our beliefs, we can access those beliefs. We can remove those old beliefs which have been based on error with new beliefs based on fact and reality. Curiously, both neuroscience and behavioral biology have seemed to completely miss this important point about how we have control over much of our beliefs and the impact they have on our outer choices. Thus, the notion of free will is more than a mere illusion. In fact, we have quite a bit of control over determining the purpose and course of our lives. Well, as far as I'm concerned, Mark, you're right on. Thanks for the feedback. And, and, and again, that just is, addresses more of the importance about what it is that we choose to consume. I mean, when you turn on that television, when you're, you know, when you're deciding what kind of rag sheet, newspaper, article, etc., you're going to watch, the radio that you're going to listen to, etc., all of that. Uh, plays a role. Richard wrote, the more research is conducted on the species, the less it appears morality is an individual burden. Social biology and environmental influence are prime components of any discussion of morality. Now, there's a lot of truth in that one too, Richard, and of course, that's largely what the spotlight today is all about. Thanks for sharing, sir. 
Donna wrote, I really like the free forum in your last radio show. You should do that one more often. Viviana remarked, I agree, this was most enjoyable. Alice wrote, wow, you guys covered a whole lot of territory today, and I learned so much. My mind was spinning by the end of the show. <laughs> oh, okay. Archie wrote, I would like to thumb through the pile of articles Eldon was reviewing during this week's show. Why don't we hear about these things more? Oh, that's right, because it's not light and fluffy or dark and horrible enough to build ratings. <laughs> Well, that might have some merit to it, Archie. And Glenn wrote, regarding the video we showed in our chat room during our noon break, Thank you, Eldon. I definitely need reminders that there are those out there who profit from knowing how to hack our mind. As long as we are in the dark, we will continue to believe that we are just consumers who deserve pseudo-food, corrupt politicians, pill-pushing physicians, and substandard education. Thank you for shining a light. Well, you're more than welcome, Glenn. Thank you for your feedback. And we're going to talk about some alternatives to pill-pushing physicians today. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters. But I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon. That's E-L-D-O-N at eldontaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. I truly appreciate your feedback and continued support. Now to this week's show, Living Bliss, major discoveries along the holistic path with our special guest, my friend, Dr. Norman Sheely. C. Norman Sheely, M.D., Ph.D., is president of Sheely Wellness and of Holos Energy Medicine Education. He was founding president of the American Holistic Medical Association in 1978. He was founding president of Holos University Graduate Seminary and is now professor emeritus of energy medicine. He has 12 patents in the field of energy medicine, has published 30 books and over 300 articles. Dr. Sheely began using acupuncture in 1966 and added electrostimulation of the needles. Dr. Sheely's innovations include dorsal column stimulation, transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation, and the Rejuva Matrix for rejuvenating telomeres. He has discovered five circuits in the human body that selectively raise DHEA and are lower free radicals. His most recent discovery is blends of essential oils, which can activate these circuits by transcutaneous acupuncture. He publishes a free weekly e-newsletter. His website is chock-a-block full of valuable information. So check it out by going to Norm Sheely, that's N-O-R-M-S-H-E-A-L-Y, normsheely.com. I am one of his faithful followers, his friend, I hope, and, and, and his customer. Dr. Sheely has been with us before, so on that, let, let's get the man himself in here. Welcome back to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Norman Sheely. Good afternoon, Eldon. What a pleasure to be with you, and you were so appropriate in leading up to this with talking about morality. Well, thank you, sir. I hope so. You know... It, there is so much I want to talk to you, and of course, you and I have had I've, I've had the great pleasure of having you on the show in the past, and and we've gone through a lot of things. But you know, when I was doing some of the preparation for this show, uh, I discovered a couple of things about you I wasn't aware of, and I decided, you know, I'm going to flesh that all out because, you know, your book is about the research and your discoveries and the things that you've been doing in your career, and so. I noticed that we share a common appreciation for the influence of frequency on the body. Indeed, I wrote about scalar energy, frequency oscillators, and like some 15 years ago in my book, Thinking Without Thinking. 
And I know that you have a Lukoski multi-wave oscillator. Not many of those in the States. Now, Lukoski <laughs> believed that the human DNA is 50-plus gigahertz. Flesh this out for us, please, and comment on how it has influenced your work. Well, we know that you never lose frequency, interestingly, but you lose power. In other words, every cell in your body is essentially vibrating at 54 to 78 billion cycles per second. And and as long as you're alive, that's the frequency. But there's a certain amplitude. It's like the wattage on a light bulb. And in most people, that begins to fade with cumulative stress throughout the years. Ukrainian physicists taught me back in the early 90s that you can apply these frequencies to specific acupuncture points and essentially recharge the battery. And that's how I worked for a number of years because I've been using electricity since the 60s. Right. And when I put these frequencies at a billionth of a watt, one billionth of a watt only through specific acupuncture points, it actually can activate them. Now, when you visited the Ukraine, you actually, you know, participated in some of the the work that they did. I mean, their uh, treatment protocol, and and uh, you witnessed their success rates. Uh, it, it, how much of that were you able to bring back to the states? And I mean, didn't you bring back indeed and do some research of your own? Uh, oh yes, I, I spent several years researching that. And I discovered that if we apply these frequencies to these specific circuits, we can very selectively. For instance, let's just take the one that raises DHEA, I call the ring of fire. Mm -hmm. Not only will it raise DHEA, dehydroepiandrosterone, but it will successfully treat 80% of people with diabetic neuropathy, 75% of people with frequent migraine, 70% 70% of people who have failed conventional medicine for rheumatoid arthritis, 70% of people with depression, and 70% of people with chronic low back pain. Not bad. No, that's really great. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I happen to be a user, uh, so I, I know that indeed it works. And, and, and I also happen to have familiarity with the multi-wave oscillators, a great deal of familiarity with that kind of equipment and it's much easier how did you discover that uh you know you could do this chemically uh as opposed to with uh electronic charges well it turns out that most people won't take the 21 minutes that it takes to do it electrically and several years ago i suddenly had this idea that there's got to be a better way that people will do. And so out of the blue, I began thinking about using essential oil. And the first one that I developed was to raise oxytocin. Actually, it was when I recognized the overriding importance of oxytocin in every aspect of our personality that I, I got interested in this. And that's why I think so appropriate you were talking about morals before we started because uh, oxytocin is sometimes called the moral, the moral molecule. Right. People who don't have good levels of oxytocin tend not to have ethics or morals. And there, I wish I could fill the House of Representatives and the Senate with 
Pursue something here before we get, you know, full-fledged into your book. I want to follow the trail of some of these um, inventors that uh, that have colorful backgrounds because I know you've done collateral work along there. When, For example, when you did, you, you know, when you replicated the work in the Ukraine, you came over and, you know, Patrick Flanagan and did was really big on copper pyramids and da-da-da. When you, when you did it, you topped off your research uh, room with a copper pyramid. What was that all about? Well, in, in trying to figure out how to get the entire body bathed in these frequencies instead of putting it through a specific acupuncture point, uh, I decided to create a copper pyramid and apply the Tesla coil to the copper tubing of the pyramid, and it works. Um, I have a signal analyzer that measures these frequencies put out by Tetronic, and the entire pyramid, in fact, about a foot around the pyramid, is filled with these energies at a billionth of a watt per square centimeter. And that's the frequency that we need through the skin to activate points. Okay, now, and, and again, this was just out of the blue. You decided to use the pyramid, or was that based on prior research? Or uh, It came as a, a sudden intuitive image. I was actually out jogging one day, uh, and all of a sudden I had this image of a copper pyramid, and that's how it came about. That's interesting. Now, just kind of, you know, I'm trying to get dates and ideas on this. Uh, who, you know, who came first with a copper pyramid, you or Patrick Flanagan? So when did this take place? Well, the copper pyramid first came to me in 1993. And I think, uh, I think Patrick Flanagan's work goes way before that. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, Pat's a friend of mine. I just thought I'd ask about that because for a long time, as you know, you could buy magnetic pyramids that you'd put in your refrigerator that you put food on. And right. it, 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 you know, well, that's a whole other story. We'll get away, get back to that maybe a little later. I want to talk to you. We've got a hard break coming up. But when we come back, I want to talk to you about... Wilhelm Reich and his Oregon ah. Energy application. I know that you're also familiar with that. And, uh, you know, he he walked down some of the ground that, that you're walking on now and uh, attempted maybe to, you know, move away from the FDA. And, 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 he, and he wasn't exactly blessed for that. So I, I, I want to I wanna ask you all about that scenario when we come back. We're speaking with Dr. Norman Sheely about his new book, Living Bliss, 
Major Discoveries Along the Holistic Path. It's a great read. I highly recommend this book. You can learn more about Dr. Sheely by visiting his website at Norm Sheely, that again, N-O-R-M-S-H-E-A-L-Y.com, normsheely.com. Remember to join Ravinder and her team in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do stay tuned. You don't want to miss what's coming up after a few words from some of our friends. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. What is one thing you wish you could change about yourself? What if you could make that change happen with the click of a button? With InnerTalk, Eldon Taylor's patented and scientifically proven and effective technology, change begins to happen the moment you hit play. InnerTalk works by priming how you talk to yourself and when your inner self-talk aligns with your outer goals. Anything becomes possible. Visit www.innertalk.com to find your towel today. Whether you catch our show on CTR or 12radio.com or bto.net and or pbs.com. We want you to know that we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Dr. Norman Sheely about his new book, Living Bliss, Major Discoveries Along the Holistic Path. We ask our guests for up to three songs that really have meaning in their lives. They're life songs, if you will. This often provides some interesting insight into our guests. Now, we just played some of True Love by Bing Crosby and Grace Kelly. Dr. Sheely, tell us, why is this song important to you? Well, boy, this brings up some some pretty serious and good memories. Uh, It came out, actually, not too long after I was married uh, to my wife. And so it's always had great meaning that, you know, this was indeed the true true love of this life. Uh, When I met my wife, uh, I met her in 1958. We were married in 1959. And... um, it's just been my companion all these years. That uh, I happen to know that story, and, and uh, it is a very romantic story. I would have you embellish on it, but we'll get on with uh, with our show, huh? Wilhelm yeah. Reich's Oregon Energy Application is something we should probably touch on here in the context of what we were talking about. Reich is a very controversial figure. As you know, and, and largely due to some of his sex experiments, his bion experiments are still often misunderstood, though. And I know you're familiar with Reich's work. So please flesh this out for us, if for no other reason than to illustrate why one must be careful of stepping on the wrong toes with potential cures that are not approved by the establishment. Well, of course, Reich introduced the concept of what... Um he called orgone. And actually, uh, he described how you can see orgone. He believed this was a universal energy which we absorb into the body. And if you go outside on a nice, you know, clear day and look up at the blue sky, not at the sun, away from the sun into the blue sky, you can see these little tiny, bright, shiny things flipping all over the place. And that's orgone. And he developed a box that was essentially lined with steel, uh, steel wool, actually, and cotton and wool. And felt that this accumulated uh, organ energy would then could be absorbed into your body. And he got into trouble with the FDA because he sold one interstate. And actually, to my knowledge, uh, his books are the only ones that our government has burned in public square, very much like the Nazis. And Reich was put in prison and died within three months. Actually, what he did is he committed a misdemeanor. According Uh, to the FDA. Yeah, it was a misdemeanor offense. So he should have gone to jail. But he went to prison. And yes, died of he, mysterious circumstances while in the prison within three months. Uh, tell me yes. this. In your opinion, do organ accumulators actually work? Yes. As a matter of fact, one of my doctoral students did her uh, dissertation uh, just using organ blankets, which are much simpler. They, they are just... Uh, like like a thick blanket that has the steel wool and the cotton and, and the wool. Mm-hmm. And she measured just having people sit under these for an hour 
several days in a row, having an increase in their DHEA, or dehydroepiandrosterone. So it is a restorer, if you will, of one of our most important hormones. Yeah. Why do you think, uh, I mean, Reich was charged with practicing medicine without a license, despite the fact that he was working with physicians uh, in what he was doing. Why do you think uh, the government and, 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 and all came down so hard on him? Well, I think anything that's good that is an alternative to the Pharmacal Mafia is a threat to the establishment. And they considered that if he could do something that didn't require a drug that was that good, that it might well, um, you know, intimidate their big business. Okay, so now we've we've got Lukoski and his multiple wave uh, oscillator, and we've got Reich up to now. I'm, I'm going to take this a little bit further, but both of these gentlemen's work uh, has been, shall we say, demonstrated to very credible people to be very effective, just as what you're doing right now with Bliss and and some of the other. Uh, essential oil mixes that you've, you've devised. Uh, why is it do you think you're under their radar, or are you? Do you ever oh, fear sure I, that you won't be? Well, I, I have no doubt that I am. Um, I will take it a step further and tell you that three years ago, uh, I became adopted by a Native American Indian band, uh, because I really do believe these are natural approaches, and um, I have these oils are actually sacraments in the Namenha Native American Church, mm-hmm. and I am a certified Native American medicine man. There is a national law that the government cannot interfere with any sacred medical practice if it's part of the true sacraments of the church. So unless we harm someone unequivocally with raping or murdering, they don't really have a leg to stand on. Okay, well, that's kind of cool because you can be pretty outspoken sometimes criticizing (laughs) various standard models like the use of statin drugs, thank you very much, hormone therapy and some anti-aging methods, you know. and, and, um, And I see your work, and I'm familiar with so much of this other that I sometimes, you know, I worry a little for you, my friend, but it's good to hear that. Listen, Colonel Tom Bearden and others have made several claims regarding the use of scalar energy waves, including scalar EM weapons, including, uh, I shouldn't say, you know, um, not eliminating the Soviet use uh, of the same on our embassy during the Cold War. Uh, There's some correspondence between the work of Lukoski and healing, and the alleged use of frequency oscillations to interrupt the optimal operation of our nervous system and in other ways damage the human condition. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that uh, it's possible to uh, load up frequencies, if you will, and aim them at a human being and uh, thereby bring about disease? 
I do not have unequivocal proof of that, but I have no doubt that it is true. Are you familiar with scalar and scalar energies, uh, Dr. Sheely? You know, I am familiar with it and the claims of it. And again, uh, unfortunately, I'm not enough of a physicist to say that I can truly understand it. But I'm well aware of it, and I have no doubt whatsoever that it can be harnessed. Okay, well, now, you know, I mean, I know you have a Tesla coil. Uh, There's talk today about the so-called Tesla howitzer. It's purportedly a scalar electromagnetic weapon, uh, but of a much greater scale than what purportedly was used on our embassy in the Soviet Union. And whether it was scalar, it was woodpecker, we'll we'll mention that in a minute. You know, that's in the air. That's up to great debate. But, But... are you familiar with this weapon, and do you believe that it's possible that it could be loaded against an entire population? Yes, I do. End of comment. Native American protection. End of comment. Yeah, it, it seems absolutely, tremendously possible to me. All right, before we leave the subject, what are your thoughts regarding radionics? And please explain what a radionic frequency is to our audience. And perhaps, you know, even comment on David Tansley's contribution to the field. In particular, his use of radionics on chakras and rays. Something that you're very close to not just knowing about, but doing. Well... You know, radionics is a pretty broad field. It, it's the use of essentially a, a kinesiological, that is, you, you feel with your fingertips uh, the answer and tune into a frequency. Uh, Francis K. Faraday was one of the great intuitives that I met back in the early 70s. Taught me to do it with just a, a piece of paper. Uh, you know, you rub your finger over a smooth surface and ask a question, yes or no. And when the question is yes, your finger sticks. And um, I use that as an intuitive adjunct sometimes. Uh, it is one of my own intuition-enhancing tools. Um, I guess I sometimes use it even when I'm doing things like figuring out whether an oil is the right mix for uh, for my particular use. When I first learned it, uh, actually, uh, one of the reasons, you know, Carolyn Mace's use of archetypes uh, mm-hmm. in order to choose the house that my archetypes would fit into, that I use radionics. And I know people who use radionics to influence crops uh, in, a, in a positive way to help them grow. Right. So now, there's been a marriage recently of radionics uh, and computers with, you know, some of the frequency development uh, that Little Farm Research has done. Are you familiar at all with that? Because when I, you mention I, agriculture, well, I, that's an area that they really spend a lot of time in. Yes. I, again, I'm familiar with it. I have no personal experience with that, but I certainly have been exposed to people talking about it and, and giving lectures on it. Do you and use radionics on patients? I well, I don't. I did not. I've not used radionics to treat. Certainly, there are people who do. How about diagnostic? Yes, 
that's where I've used it uh, to assist in making a, a diagnosis. And that's what Frances K. Farrelly showed me. She yeah. could tell me what a person's blood sugar was just using her fingers on a piece of paper to decide what the what this number was for blood sugar or white blood count. You know, and again, I'm touching on all these people because, you know, these are great minds, um, and and everything that they did has been demonstrated to the most credible of folks to be real. And yet it's outside not just the mainstream of allopathic care, but it's outside the awareness of most people on this planet. They've never heard of it. You know, it's almost as though it were hidden away. Maybe like Reich's books burned, and now it's 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 ashes. Do you do you think that? And and I don't want to you know enter into some kind of conspiracy theory here. But do you think there is an overt effort to suppress this kind of information? Oh yes, I think it. it there always has been. Okay, whenever we talk about chakras, Dr. Sheely, we, you know, we, we end up talking about a subtle body. And there's a lot of conversation today about subtle bodies, subtle body energy, and, and whenever you discuss chakras, you know, uh, we get into, you know, some confusion about what is meant when one mentions a subtle body. For some, it's the energy body. For others, it may well represent something much more esoteric. Uh, for example, it said that each subtle body corresponds to a subtle plane of existence in a hierarchy or great chain of being that culminates in a physical form. From your perspective, when you're dealing with a subtle body, what is it you're dealing with? Explain this. Flesh this out for us, please, sir. Well, it just happens that I have always seen a subtle energy field around living things plants and animals and like the corona energy the corona energy of the etheric body yeah okay and so it makes absolute sense to me and Irving Core was one of the great neurophysiologists of the last century and in one of his papers he shows the nervous system with these circles of energy uh, starting with the dyadic plexus and the pelvic plexus and the solar plexus the heart plexus, the neck, the cervical plexus, the brain, etc. So it made perfect sense to me because these are associated with the first through the six chakras. And so I sense the energy that fits into these parts of the body and the metaphysical connection of them. And in fact, interesting to me, the most interesting of everything about it is that both in anatomy and in metaphysics, we call the third chakra the solar plexus. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Do you believe that the subtle body corresponds to uh, some subtle plane of existence? Yes, I, I really do. I think they are the connection of the etheric body with the physical body. And in the etheric body... Uh, can you correlate that to what we think of generally as spirit or soul? I think that's how the spirit works. With I think of the spirit as being the puppeteer. And theoretically, our mind is 
you know, directed by the Spirit if we pay attention to it. Right. And it, it interfaces through the etheric body. That's how essentially the energy of connection from the soul to the physical is through the etheric body. So the Spirit is communicating through the etheric body uh, into the physical body? Yes. Okay. Uh, all right, let me let me do this. Whenever you know we have a conversation that begins uh, to explore the influence of a frequency on the body, we open up an entire additional area of inquiry. Music, for example, is said to have the ability to soothe the savage breast. And research tends to support this. You know, some of my own work. Uh, we know, you know, some sound patterns, such as a 60 beat per minute that we find in Adagio Largo music, actually can entrain the brain. And one of my hobbies has been cymatics. And a friend of mine, the co-inventor of ultrasound, knowing this, made a gift to me several years ago of a device that visualizes sound. So as I pointed out in some of my books, the chorus in Handel's Messiah uh, always produces, uh, you know, the Hallelujah Chorus, a perfect five-pointed star. Uh, Coincidence? Well, you know, I, I don't think so. But that's not where I'm going. Sound, all sound, generates a vibratory pattern. And the vibratory pattern of the DNA molecule is claimed to have been identified by some researchers. So my question... You know, I've seen these patterns in nature using cymatics. Do you think that sound is a healing modality? And do you think that we can tune the body like we might tune a musical instrument by resonating the appropriate sounds or frequencies uh, to each, you know, to different human beings? Yes, unequivocally. I've done a lot of work on vibratory sound. And you truly can entrain the brain of the mind with appropriate sound. Actually, my most favorite is Mozart's Requiem. Mm. I consider that one of the most transcendent pieces of music ever created. Have you done work yourself in this this area, Dr. Shealy? Oh, yes. I've done a number of studies on this. Uh, and and how it changes the mind. I, I've, I've done EEG brain mapping, computerized EEGs, and how it is affected with a sound. You know, now I know that, uh, you know, just using simple measurements, and, and sometimes that's EEG, we can see that brainwave activity slows from the normal beta into, um, you know, uh, an alpha state. Um, and so it, you know, a lot of people talk about Adagio Largo music as being the music of super learning. In fact, I'm sure you know Sheila um, and Lynn, who wrote the book Super Learning and Super Memory, uh, or Carl uh, Schleicher, who ripped off the, the Soviet Union for the technology, brought it back, and Mankind Research created the Accelerated Learning Institute in Bethesda, Maryland, where we still have a language institute. Uh, that is used by our intelligence agencies to learn foreign languages in a very rapid way. I'm familiar with that, but recently a lot of studies have tended to indicate that it not only slows brainwave activity, but it actually changes, you know, the areas of the brain that are excited, that are processing information, indicating that 
there's a rewiring of how we're, you know, how we're using our brain going on. Do you want to comment on that as well? Oh, there's no question about that at all. Uh, you know, when you get the right kind of music, you can actually create a most beautiful mandala when you do the computerized brain map that, that looks like, you know, a perfect art form, very similar to a lot of the stuff that you've seen by great artists in history. And one of our doctoral students did her dissertation uh, using Pachelbel's Canon in D. Oh, yeah. And, compa- and compared the uh, dark field microscope blood uh, with people listening to Pachelbel's Canon versus feeling while listening. And interestingly, as, as you know, uh, if you take a drop of blood, put it under the microscope, the uh-huh. red blood cells tend to stick together. They roll right. uh, together. Well, it, it doesn't change when you listen to it, but when you feel the music, when they actually are in a vibrating music bed, uh, it actually prevents the rouleau or the, the sticking together of uh, red blood cells. Hmm. How interesting. You know, you are an absolute library of knowledge about this. And all of this information that, you know, has led you to some of the, the discoveries that we're going to be taking up uh, in our next hour. We've got a hard break coming up. But when you mention dark field microscope and blood, when we come back, I'm going to ask you if you're familiar with uh, blood electrifying, the, that the, the electrifier that was designed by uh, Bob Beck, Dr. Bob Beck, indeed. Um, <laughs> Okay, so, all right. Uh, Again, if you would like to know more about Dr. Norman Sheely and his work, visit his site or check out the links on provocativeenlightenment.com. We have a film featuring our guest for you today, uh, and it's a great film, so you can catch it during the break by joining in the chat room. If you're not already there, now's a great time to get on over there. So just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Oh, 
you follow that act. Uh, if you just joining us, we're chatting with Dr. Norman Sheely about his book, Living Bliss, Major Discoveries Along the Holistic Path. And we're actually learning a, a lot about everything that has to do with, you know, the kinds of health care, the kinds of medicine, the kind of self-care. I guess that's the best way to put it. The kind of self-care that every one of you out there can use. Uh, that this man has spent his lifetime in in looking at. He's he's been through all of these different methods, techniques, and and combinations that we've been talking about to derive what today is. I I find what today is probably uh, one of the most important discoveries of my lifetime, maybe even more. We'll ask him more about that in a minute. But before we get back to the show. I want to invite you to join me on Facebook. I post regularly everything from where I am and what's on next to the latest in science, technology, and consciousness studies, and from time to time, some of my own opinions about the world we live in. And, you know, I love your comments and feedback, and Facebook is just a great place for that. Now, they limit my friends page, so please join me on my fan page. Do it today, and I thank you. All right, Dr. Sheely, we just played some of your second musical choice, Madonna by the Three Tenors. What's the story about this one, sir? Well, when I went to college at age 16, I started taking voice lessons. And my goal when I started was to sing that particular aria. Um, And I did. For Christmas that year, I made for my mother a 78 RPM records of me singing that. You know, if I had had an Italian tenor voice instead of an Irish tenor voice, I would have gone into opera. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you didn't go into opera. We're glad you went into what you did go. You speak Italian, I take it then. No, I I, I can sing Italian, but I don't speak Italian. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, before the break, I told you I was going to ask you about uh, Beck's Blood Electrifier and what your thoughts were on it, because, you know, it was basically a simple multi-vibrator circuit that produces an AC square wave output at 3.92 hertz, which is, you know, half of the Schumann resonance of 7.8, and and Beck felt that there um, there was some magic to that. Uh, but he also said that the frequency could be between 0.67 and 4 hertz, that it would all work. So I guess the question is, you're familiar with it, I know. Does it work, and, and does is there any real uh, key to its relevance to the Schumann frequency? Well, I think so. I did a lot of work back in the 80s, late 80s and early 90s on uh, frequency. And there's no question that uh, the Schumann resonance and 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 its its various relative frequencies, if you will, uh, have a powerful effect of 
on our mind and, and, and our relaxation response. Mm-hmm. So halving it, is there, was there some significance to an AC square wave that, that halved the Schumann frequency? I mean, I, I, you know, I, I knew Bob Beck, and I talked to him several times about some of the work that he did. Uh, never about this one, you know. I remember him telling me about... Well, uh, pardon? Well, I had an intuitive hit back in the... Well, again, in the many, many decades ago now, uh-huh. that... Uh, each chakra is associated with a certain frequency so that the first chakra is basically the uh, the human frequency itself and the second chakra is you know twice that etc up to the seventh chakra it just turns out that uh, according to my intuition uh, it, it actually is let's say uh, the seven but plus or minus two. So we are not unequivocally stuck at just the human resident, but we have half of that and twice that uh, as, as effective. And when you get up to the seventh chakra, you get up to actually 54.8, um, I think. And interestingly, if, if you then take that out to 10 layers outside, we're getting up into the gigahertz of the 54 billion cycle per second that actually refer to uh, our human DNA frequency. So if you add the plus or minus two, it all works out to be very compatible with each chakra. Years ago, Dr. Shealy, I read a study. In fact, I wrote about this study uh, that indicated that EM fields, uh, just the 60 cycles of electricity coursing in a room, had been shown to uh, mutate the DNA molecule. Mm. And, of course, you know, I mean, this was uh, this is 30 years ago uh, that I read this. And still to this day, we don't have a lot of... Uh, of literature coming out that, that discusses much more than, well, your cell phone, you know, it's not good for you. What is your opinion of these, this variety of frequencies we're surrounded in now, 24-7, you know, our computers and the and the lights in the background and, and our cell, all of that. What What's its effect on the oh, human there's DNA? Oh, no question. We, we, we have what I call electromagnetic dysthymia. In other words, okay, yeah. the, the brain, the electrical control center of our entire being, it can be very disrupted uh, by 60 cycle activity and various sundry frequencies. People who are even slightly depressed are much more sensitive to 60 cycle activity than people who are not depressed at all. And so if you put just three, three milligauss, which is a very tiny bit of current, near within six inches of the top of the head of a person who's depressed it will markedly upset the entire brain now a person like me who fortunately is not depressed it takes 50 uh, milligauss to disturb mm-hmm. my EEG because of that I do wear a Claris Q pendant all the time when I'm traveling because I, I demonstrated many years ago that the Q-pendant does protect the brain from up to 50 milligauss of ambient electromagnetic energy. Now, that 
does not, of course, include cell phones because that's at a much higher frequency. But at least it protects you from, you know, the stuff in the city. Uh, I tested the background in Baltimore 15 years ago. And there's five milligallons everywhere. You can be out driving down in the country right outside Baltimore. And the background ambient electromagnetic field is five milligallons. Springfield, Missouri, 150,000 people. The background is two and a half to three milligauss. That's uh, that's incredible. Let me, you, you you mentioned this Q pendant. Um, is that something you offer on your website? Uh, I think we still carry that. Uh, yes, I have um, been carrying it because it's the only one that I know that has been tested that shows it does protect the brain. Okay, so and, our audience I, could go to your website and they could find the Q pendant, right? Yes. I know I'm going to get that, you know, email question, so I'll just answer it on here right now. Okay. Let's turn more directly to your book. Let's talk about some of the other healing modalities and research that you, again, you have either pioneered or been intimately involved in. You outline several major discoveries, but I think you have a unique contribution that will be long honored that I would like to discuss first, and that's the idea of conscientious psychology. So let's unpack well, what you mean by conscientious psychology and how would it, you know, how would it, uh, its impact ramify the community of healthcare, right? I mean, what, what would be the ramifications to the community of healthcare? I'll get it said. I'll get it out. You know what I want. Oh, yeah. Well, conscientiousness basically is a personality trait. It's one of what's called the big five or the five factors personality index, and a major study was completed in 2011, at least reported in a book in 2011, showing that the single most effective tool, if you will, or aspect that we have that is a, is affects longevity is conscientiousness. Consciousness basically means responsible and organized, responsible and organized. And so people who are more responsible, more organized, are healthier and live longer. And interestingly, they have a, a, a higher income throughout life than people who are not conscientious. Now, my, what I sense is that approximately 80% of people are low in conscientiousness. So that means the world is being organized and, you know, to a great extent, helped along by people, the 20% who are more conscientious. And so my my conscientious psychology concept is we need not just to study people who are conscientious, but to study how do we motivate those who don't have it to become that. And so last year I actually endowed a chair of conscientious psychology at Missouri State University the purpose of which is to do exactly that kind of research for the next 50 years at least. Yeah, and I and I think that, uh, you know, that is a significant contribution, uh, not just because, uh, you know, of the fact that we need it so desperately in our society, but I think like positive psychology, sometimes... You know, it takes uh, some real momentum to get 
get the ship turned around. It takes a big kick to get somebody to to stop. And 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but I would, I mean, based on what you've said, based on my own observations, we seem to be guiding this ship, this country toward a non-conscientious way of living, toward a, you know, you're not responsible, we'll take care of it, uh, you deserve it, we'll fix it. Or have I got that wrong, Dr. Sheely? No, you're right on target there, and that's, of course, why I've become so interested in this. And, And it all bounces back to the first seven years and nine months of life, Elvis. I began to, you know, figure out three years ago, why? Why are so many people unconscientious and irresponsible? And basically, it starts with low self-esteem. And it starts because something happened, either in the nine months when they were in utero or in the first seven years of life, which damaged the bonding and nurturing hormone system, oxytocin. No, that's interesting, and I want to get into that in a minute. But I, I, I also want to ask you about this. See, when you mention esteem, esteem is, of course, a major issue, and 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 it has been for several years now in our country. And you know, we work to build the esteem of our children. I think, however, we've maybe gone too far. Uh, yeah, I, I I think we build a false self-esteem today. Uh, you know. People tend to become, they, they, they tend to believe that just because they're here, they deserve certain things, you know. Um, and, you know, it, it's not something they have to earn, like respect. It's just something they deserve. And, uh, and, and we see that reach with some pretty large tentacles through our political system as well. And, uh, and, and I guess where I'm going with this is, do you feel that the way we teach self-esteem today, just endowing you with it, just telling you that, yeah, you're good, uh, is really the way we should be teaching self-esteem? No, I do not. I think, uh, you know, I, I think there is a natural instinct the single greatest instinct that human beings have is a desire to help other people. But if you did not feel in that first seven years and nine months of life nurtured, then you have this, I need it, and I want it, and I can't give it away because I don't have enough of my own. Interesting. That's an an interesting idea. The esteem of course a real esteem in my view comes when you are helping others when you are you know i mean how is the best way for you to know what your worth is when you put your head on the pillow and know that you made a difference in someone's life somehow um you assisted them you facilitated them they they enjoy life more they appreciate life more that's when you really get esteem so to me it's a convoluted model it's not something you take it's something you give and that's how you build it but with that said we know that esteem is is associated with all kinds of uh stress disorders uh something you know that years ago got the label psychoneuroimmunology so, you know, 
there there is a also a conversation in metaphysical circles and among some scientists about the fact that we're binary beings and we can switch from flashing on and flashing off with disease to flashing on and flashing off with wellness and that that's just you know that's something that we do in our head now and i i've simplified this i know it, it can be much more complicated but in your view how far can one go to thinking themselves young fit and healthy and if they can do this at all how do they go about convincing their inner mind to stop mitigating this power uh with all the negative you know uh, interruptions the mind tends to give us whenever we say those kinds of things to ourselves. Well, I started studying this in 1971 when I began working with people who had failed, failed, failed conventional medicine. My average patient had had between five and seven unsuccessful back operations and become invalids. And now I've worked with 30,268 such patients through the years. Wow. And every one of them will tell me that they, they were actually unhealthy and, well, more unhappy before they had their first back operation. And so it's a lot easier to say my back hurts than my life hurts. Mm -hmm. And so when something happens and they injure the back, which is easy to do in certain places, and they don't feel good in the first place, it becomes, you know, it just happens. And interestingly, as I began working with these people, and I began helping them to get well again, the number one thing they would tell me, I'd say, what do you want to do now that you're, you know, okay to do something again? Almost invariably, they say, I want to help other people. Mm -hmm. So I believe that this instinct is there, even though it gets blocked or, or unrecognized when you're not feeling good enough about yourself. And so it turns out that if the child was not wanted in the first place, if the pregnancy turns out to have been an unwanted pregnancy, the baby never gets any oxytocin during the whole nine months in the uterus. If the mother is put to sleep to have the baby, and that's another 25% of people, it blocks the big surge of oxytocin during delivery. And even if the pregnancy was great and the delivery was great, if there's a major trauma in the first seven years of life, it will block that normal, healthy, otherwise before that child healthy ability to have oxytocin, nurturing and bonding for the rest of his or her life. And so that's what got me interested in how do we restore that? Because we know that we can give them intranasal sprays of oxytocin and it works. Right. But they're only short term studies at the most a month, mostly two or three weeks of giving intranasal sprays of oxytocin. And you have to do it four times a day. And so you're talking about up to $100 a day. And the nose isn't going to like that very long. I can't no. imagine you could do it every day for a year. And giving it like that doesn't stimulate the body to make its own. So that's how uh, I began concentrating on re-energizing or restoring the body's ability to make its own oxytocin and that's where the ring of air comes in and where i switched from using human dna electrical frequency to the essential oils 
and it, it doesn't work in everybody. It only works in 80% of people, Elvin. But you know, I don't know a drug that's 80% effective. No, maybe a placebo. No, I'm joking. Listen, <laughs> at 80% well, placebo would be pretty good. Yeah. While we're on this subject, I guess, you know, look, one of your major contributions is in really identifying what you just discussed. and, and But DHEA's importance, uh, you know, oh, when yes. I think of that, I think of, of, of Norman Sheely. So, um, you know, Tell us about DHEA and why it matters. Well, ordinarily, we begin to make DHEA when we go into puberty. We do pretty well without it up until puberty. And all of a sudden, over that period of time between age 12, roughly, and adulthood, we increasingly make more and more DHEA. It is the baluster against stress. In other words, when you are stressed, whether it's psychological, physical, or chemical, doesn't matter, you produce an increase in cortisol. And the adrenal glands then put out, oh, getting too high in that cortisol, oh, DHEA to the rescue. So we, we, unless you are a teenage jock, you optimize or maximize your production of DHEA about age 25. But after that, stress begins to accumulate, so that by age 30, most people have already lost 10% of what they had at 25. And by age 80, they've lost 90% of what they had at age 30. And so low DHEA is associated with every known disease, physical, mental, emotional, chemical, biochemical, everyone. I've measured in several thousand people, and it is always below an optimal level. Now, you can give DHEA orally. The problem is that it no longer has that natural relevance or balance with cortisol. And there are some risks to taking it because we have an immune system that's coping. But we know that 39% of women have microscopic breast cancer, and yet only 11% of women will ever develop clinically breast cancer. We know that 100% of men who live to be 100 will have microscopic prostate cancer, but only 13% will develop prostate cancer. And there's some evidence that giving DHEA can actually flare up those otherwise indolent or, or lying low uh, microscopic cancers. So back in uh, the early 90s, I looked at ways to rejuvenate the body's ability to make its own DHEA. And my first uh, approach was to use uh, just plain old progesterone. I figured that, well, you know, women stop making progesterone when they go through the menopause. Maybe it's loss of some enzyme that converts cholesterol into progesterone. Dr. Sheehan, I'm going to have yeah. to ask you to hold it on that. We've got another hard break coming up. Don't okay. Want the computer to no kick problem. Us out. Everybody, everybody's going to want to stay tuned and and hear the answer to this. And and I'm going to tell you, go get this book, Living Bliss, by Dr. Norman Sheely. We hope you're enjoying our show today. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes and take your calls. If you have a question of Dr. Sheely, do call in. You can do that by dialing one eight seven seven two three zero three zero six two. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after paying a few bills. Mm-hmm. 
is the way out. Change the way you talk to yourself and you change your expectation. Change your expectation and you change your reality. Inner Talk does just that. Here's some of what one customer had to say about the power they gained as a result of using Inner Talk. Lisa wrote, To all you skeptics, these subliminal programs actually work. This past Christmas, I gifted myself the following programs, Prosperity, Money Management, and Luck. I listened to the Prosperity and Money Management CDs on alternate days on continuous loop at home and while sleeping. The Luck CD I listened to every day at home also on continuous loop. This is what has happened so far. I've had so many opportunities to work overtime. My union representative has told me that I was due two years back wages for shift differential slash premium that was due to me. I did not know I was due this. I have paid off my last debt. I am debt free. I have been consistently entering contests and sweepstakes. I have won a dinner for two at a casino hotel in Atlantic City, won a $100 gift card to The Gap, won $500 cash in a Pennsylvania lottery scratch-off ticket. I seem to get parking spaces when I need them, and I seem to always get good deals on things that I purchase. It does not matter what the item is. Oh, the UPS man just delivered a box of toys. I don't remember what contest I entered, but my nephew will get the toys for his birthday this summer. Please feel free to share my testimony. When you are ready to make changes in your life, Inner Talk awaits you. Whether you desire to increase prosperity, lose weight, end some addiction, improve your relationships, develop new skill sets, and so forth, Inner Talk is there to serve you. Check out over 300 titles today by going to innertalk.com. That's I N N E R T A L K.com. Now, back to the show. Oh, I see now I see. 
Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Dr. Norman Sheely about his books and research. Uh, and, and, you know, this is a wonderful book. Again, I'm going to suggest you get this. I have so many questions for Dr. Sheely based on his life's work and and the material we've been talking about today. The uh, and, and we're just simply not going to be able to get it into two hours. I can't believe that we're down to just a, a half hour left. And, and I've still got 40 questions or more sitting here. Uh, we just uh, played, uh, Dr. Sheely, your third song, Mimi. Uh, what is this music important? Uh, I mean, what is the story here? Is, of all the marvelous operas, my favorite. And that particular aria, to me, brings out in me the most remarkable need to help this beautiful person. I mean, it, it awakens the the nurturing instinct more than anything I've ever heard in my life. I just want to reach out and run up on the stage and <laughs> and help. Wow. Okay, I you know, I'm going to have to see that opera. You have me on that one. I have never seen that opera. Have you seen that opera, Ravinder? No, I haven't. I should have. But... We're going to have to put it down. Oh. We're going to have to make sure <laughs> it we see it. Is, it is just gorgeous. All the way through. All right. Before the break, sir, you were explaining to, uh, well, in fact, just pick it up, would you please? Are you there, Dr. Sheely? I'm here, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. okay. <laughs> DHEA, the number right. one way to raise it is natural progesterone. And it turns out that when I gave it to men who had very low levels of DHEA, they became horny, and their DHEA came up, and everybody was happy except one wife. (laughs) But, um, you know, it'll raise DHEA an average of 60%, which is not bad, but it wasn't good enough. And so I sat down one day and I said, what else can I do? And here's where I got the inspiration for the first of the five rings. And when I stimulated the 12 points that I was intuitively given, the rings of fire, it raised DHEA, another 60%. And a few years later, I happened to get an article about methane, MSN, and it turns out that when I gave MSM, it only worked in half of people. Hmm, not good enough. But I went back to the people in whom it was raised, and they were already taking vitamin C. So vitamin C alone will not raise your DHEA. MSM and methyl methane will not raise your DHEA. But the two together will. And so that was my third one. And then finally, I learned that magnesium through the skin is absorbed it not only raises your intracellular level of magnesium better than it does orally, but it raises DHEA, which will not happen when you take it orally. So I found four different techniques for rejuvenating the body's ability to make its own DHEA, and it will together, they will raise DHEA 250% over your baseline, but never above normal. Okay, now the rings, the five rings that you've been talking about. Um, in fact, let me just have you iterate those five rings. There is the ring of fire. Go ahead. Well, the ring of air. And the ring of air 
is uh, the one for raising oxytocin and neurotensin, which really are the calming and also just feeling nurtured and and nurturing. And that's where its great value is. It, it helps 80% of people with anxiety or depression, ADHD, autism, phenomenal for those. The rate of water raises or normalizes aldosterone. And aldosterone is a different adrenal hormone that balances water and potassium metabolism. So people who have congestion, congestive heart failure, edema, swelling of the legs, etc. That's a great one. The ring of earth raises calcitonin. And calcitonin is a hormone produced by the thyroid that is critical for keeping your bones strong. It prevents or reverses uh, osteoporosis. But in addition, calcitonin is 40 to 60 times as powerful as morphine for reducing pain. So it has great benefit in pain. And then finally, the ring of crystal reduces free radicals. And free radicals, of course, are the chemicals that rust our body. They, they essentially wrinkle us inside and out. And using the ring of crystal, we reduce free radicals 80% Elton. There's nothing, nothing in the literature that comes close to that. In fact, the only the other thing that I've found is a very concentrated particular fruit juice thing, but it only does 43%. And the ring of crystal will do 80%. We've got people now go for a full year using uh, crystal, and they can keep their free radicals way down. And anywhere between 0 and 1 plus on the test is an excellent level of free radicals. Now, you know, the other thing that's involved in aging, of course, is not just the free radicals, but the telomere ends are shortened. Ah. So and that, tell us about that. Yeah. Well, in 2006, I had this idea that if we could only keep our DHEA and our um, calcitonin and our free radicals healthy, we ought to regenerate the telomeres. Telomeres are the tips of our DNA. And they shrink on average 1% every year of life, starting at birth, if you have good health habits. If you have chronic health habits, they shrink a lot faster. So I started with the idea that exposing our body to the human DNA frequency, 54 to 78 billion cycles per second, at a billionth of a watt, would regenerate kilometers. And it does. I have 34 people in a long-term study, and on average... They telomeres regrow three to four percent every year that you use these. Wow. Now I started off uh, in in 2006, and over the next three years, my telomeres grew 12 percent. About what everybody else is doing. My wife developed a, a very serious and ultimately fatal disease in 2010 and died in 2011. In that period, I lost the 12% I gained. At least I didn't go below that. But I kept doing it, and by 2013, my telomeres had regained 15%. So I, I did 5% a year for a couple of years. And so last spring, when I discovered that I'd gotten that good, I stopped using electrical stimulation because by that time I had the oils that activate the rings. And I can take those with me. I travel a lot. Mm-hmm. I can't take my, my rejuvenatrix mattress with me. Mm-hmm. And so April of this year, 
my telomeres had grown another 4.4%, 19.6% over when I started. And that mm-hmm. means they are actually 26% longer than expected at this time. Mm-hmm. So if you look at my telomeres now, at 81 years of age, they equal your average 45-year-old man. Well, I'm looking at a picture of you on your new book, Living Bliss, and uh, 81 years of age. Well, if that's what you look like when you're 81, we'll all start wanting to be 81 real quick here. You look great, <laughs> sir. Now, do you do you use all five uh, of the rings? Do you, do you deal with all five of the rings? I guess that's what I want to say every day. Yes. I, I You know, I'm an experiential junkie, and so I had to find out what happens if you use all of them. Mm-hmm. I have several people who converted to just three R's, the, the ones I thought were most important, that is fire, earth, and crystal. But I do all five. I do uh, air and earth just at bedtime. And first thing when I get up in the morning, I do fire and water and crystal. It takes me one minute at bedtime, one and a half minutes in the morning, and I can take it with me everywhere I go. Yeah, it, and I, you know, I've used the fire since we've talked about this uh, last time, and uh, you know, I mean, it really is quick and easy. And you know, I, I have to. I mean, I don't mean to offend, but at first, for me, it was like, come on, is this really going to make a difference? But uh, it does. It does make a difference. It's uh, it's really simple and really easy to do. But you know, like so many things, it has a great impact, and it's an accumulative impact. Um, so Dr. Sheely, for, you know, for people out there, the ring, you know, can be somewhat misleading. I I mean, to me, I know I was thinking the ring of fire. Well, what, what is a ring? Is that like a circle on my body? Is that, you know, the solar plexus, uh, expanded out or explain what you mean by ring? Cause these are really points on the body. Is that not true? It is, it is points that are connected one to another energetically. And they're connected in, in the acupuncture system. And I, I believe the acupuncture system is truly an energy system in the body. So the ring of fire, it connects the kidneys, which are your inherited life energy, your, your life chi, connects the kidneys with the gonads, the, the testes and the ovaries with the adrenal glands, with a thyroid, with the pituitary, through a window of the sky point, which is a connection of body, mind, and soul. So this circuit of energy that integrates all of your inherited energy with the endocrine system is the ring of fire. Okay. You know, Dr. Sheely, I, I, I... I want to ask you about ADHD because you mentioned ADHD and not long ago I had, uh, um, I received a letter from an individual that was asking about what they could do and causes of ADHD and there's, you know, there's a lot of comment and criticism and some concern about a number of factors out there that aggravate uh, ADD, ADHD and, and, you know, some crossover to autism. Um, and, and we do an ADHD program that we've actually had a you know good double-blind study conducted on that that is a cognitive kind of thing. But I was surprised in responding to this person, you know. And like you, I'll try and do my homework and be thorough before I respond. 
to learn that several studies now show clearly that parking your child in front of television is almost a certain invitation to ADHD. Your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. No question about it. Uh, and, and it's not a good, you know, it's not a good treatment. It does quiet them down. But, it, but in a sense, it's sort of like feeding sugar to a diabetic. It reinforces the problem. Yeah, it's actually, they, they actually, in these studies, argued a causal connection, <clears throat> saying, you know, look, you take a, a healthy two-year-old and put them in front of the television, and, and in one of these studies, they were talking to parents who'd put their children in front of the television at ages as early as six months. Uh, but you put a healthy child two years of age in front of that television and let them devour a TV like many parents do, you know, six, eight hours a day. I should say many, some. Uh, and you will create, there is a causal connection between the television and the ADHD. And, and where, I, I mean, I look at that and I think, well, what is that? Is that the flicker rate? You know, because TV doesn't train you. You and I have discussed that, I think, before. Uh, is it, what is it that, that would cause that? Uh, do you have any input on that? Oh, yeah. I think there's no question about it. It does several things. It, first of all, it disturbs the serotonin mechanism. Serotonin is your number one bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, alert behavior. Right. Uh, number two, it strikingly inhibits oxytocin. My, you know, the thing that just keeps recurring is, is oxytocin. So these children can respond very well to the ring of fire, but they respond quicker to the ring of air. And they also will do extremely well sometimes with nothing but a little lithium orotate. Lithium is a catalyst for making serotonin. And so in a five-year-old, I'll give five milligrams, and a 10-year-old, 10 milligrams, a 15-year-old, 15 milligrams of lithium orotate. Very safe. And sometimes that's all they need. They don't need anything else if they're not, you know, too bad. But if they're bad enough, I would use both the lithium and the ring of air because I have seen the most remarkable results with ADHD using that combination. Do you see a correspondence between autism and ADHD? Absolutely. My most, I think of all the cases that I've treated in the last three years, my most favorite is a 12-year-old autistic boy brought to me by his parents in September two years ago. I couldn't get within three feet of him. You know, they're very withdrawn. They don't want right. to be touched or approach people. Right. But I convinced him and his parents to do the ring of air. Two months later, he came in and hugged me. And that, I mean, i got to admit, that's one of the most touching things I've ever had happen. Yes. I have three adult, in their mid-20s, uh, Asperger's kids, which is another variant of autism. Every one of them has been stabilized using uh, air bliss. All right. Now, before I ask you this next question, uh, for for everyone out there, if you go to normsheely.com, these materials that he's talking about, all of them, um, in, including the, the elements, the minerals, etc., cetera, um, are available on his website. So you can learn more information about it. It, it is a great resource. Um, and remember that this show will be in our archives, and you can replay the show 
uh, or you can you can catch one of the the re-airings if you've missed some of the information. And before we let him go, we'll make sure we get his contact details for everyone. But Dr. Sheely, now turning back to your book, you lay out a number of ways that a person can improve their well-being without buying anything. In fact, you ask the question, why not choose to experience a blissful life? So what is a blissful life in your view? And please share some of your ideas of how we can obtain it. Well, obviously, there are many, many ways. Uh, You can stimulate these points with massage and tapping. And in workshops, most of the time, that's all I do. I show people how to tap on on the points. And it does help raise oxytocin. And I would say 90 plus percent of people in a room full of 200 people will be just deeply happy and relaxed. So that's one way. Before you you leave tapping, though, I've taken such exception to this one. I have to I have to do a clarification here because I mean we had somebody on the show that basically said it didn't matter where you tapped, you could tap anywhere, and it didn't matter what you were tapping for. You could tap for money. You could tap for a soulmate. You know, Uh, and I have great exception. You're talking about tapping the energy points in the meridian system, the acupuncture points themselves. Is that correct? And I, and I am telling you that if you don't tap the right point, it does not work. Okay, and I have done let's, that. Let's get on with what you were saying then, because I, I agree totally. Okay. Um, you know, that's one way. Good music, any kind of really excellent music. A lot of Steve Halpern, Iasos, Burns and Dexter, a lot of the great new age relaxing music is, is helpful. Um, the... Physical exercise, even modern exercise. Go to YouTube and look for bouncing with Dr. Sheely. Just standing up and bouncing in place without even moving your feet off the floor, just bending your knees and your arms up and down. That can help. Sex helps. There's no question that, you know, a normal sexual life. I'm very right in when it comes to the whole concept of sex and uh, being able to please yourself as well as your partner, that sort of thing. Um, All of these things help. Autogenic training is one of my favorite all-time things. People who will do simple autogenic training, my arms and legs are heavy and well, and one, that whole series of, of mental exercises, can retrain the nervous system. And, and, of course, I've been working with this now for 40 years, and it does help. There are 2,600 scientific references proving the benefits of autogenic training in, in reducing stress in every conceivable way. So to me, getting outside, being in sunshine for an hour a day, if you can, is tremendously helpful. Yeah, get away from the electromagnetic media. You know, now, autogenic training today, a lot of people are talking about mindfulness training, and they they seem to uh, conflate the two. You know, mindfulness training, I'm going to meditate and and I'm going to attend to my thoughts, and I'm not going to attend to them critically, but I'm going to attend to them. I'm going to take control of, of my thinking. They're really two different. They're two different technologies that maybe lead generally in the same direction. But that's as I see it. Your take on that? Oh, absolutely, no question about it. Autism training is really a westernized form of Raja Yoga. Right. Shoot himself saw that connection between 
the Eastern Vedic concepts, which certainly relate to mindfulness and that sort of thing, and his conversion of that into language uh, that he called autogenic training. All right, we just my dissert- couple- Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, my dissertation, when I got my PhD in psychology, was looking at the wide interrelationship throughout the world of these various uh, mind or uh, retraining of the nervous system. Okay. We have just a couple of minutes left, and I've got so many more questions. But one of the questions that I do want to get in before I leave you is uh, one of your questions. You know, it's something that I... I know you like to answer, so I'm going to ask it of you. Do you really want to live to be 140 years old? <laughs> Only if I'm healthy. And that, Only of course, if you're healthy, my... huh? Yeah. My feeling is that if we do all the things we've been talking about, eat right, exercise right, sleep right, all of the normal, simple, healthy things that everybody knows are right, plus do the things that keep our telomeres young, then we will live a lot longer and a lot healthier. You know, if people just actually had the basic habits of no smoking, normal body weight, uh, eating five or more servings of fruits and vegetables a day, exercise five days a week, life expectancy would go up 22 years within two decades. Right, so we do that, we don't do anything else. Cells in the laboratory have been shown to perfectly replicate 144 years. I'm not sure how they did that at Stanford, but they claim that. Dr. Sheely, in 20 seconds, tell our audience how they can learn more about you. Go to just Norm Sheely, N-O-R-M-S-H-E-A-L-Y dot com. Free email newsletter. All my archives are there for 10 years. All kinds of links for optimal health. All right, that's Norm Sheely, N-O-R-M-S-H-E-A-L-Y dot com. Uh, you've heard me recommend it. I highly recommend it. Dr. Sheely, as always, I love having you on the show. I love picking your mind, and I love your contribution to mankind. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today, and I hope you enjoyed our show. And We'll join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. And remember, if you have comments on our show, do please let us know. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.